financial reports for the fiscal year. Amen. The dream and the dreamer. Everybody should have a desire and have a something within them that propels them to do something. Sometimes it gets beat down by life and circumstances in life. And so the inspiration gets lost, but I think when we are born and given the opportunity, every human being has a desire to dream, a creative desire to do something, to be something. This is one of the early days in discussion uh, of children is what do you want to be when you grow up? And there's many, many interesting answers to that question. I'll never forget asking that question to my son when he was young. And I guess we had gone to Taco Bell so much that he said, I want to work at Taco Bell. So kids have, they've, they've got this idea of what they want to be, what they want to become. And so from an early age, they may want to be a firefighter. They may want to work as a uh, police in the police department. Or they may, there's, there's various things, a nurse, a doctor. And a lot of times they, they have these, these dreams that go very, very far. And woe is the person that would ever try to uh, get them off of that. Sometimes we downplay, and we should never do that. We should strive. Anybody that wants to do something, we should encourage them to be the best that they can be and reach as high as possible. It may not work out that way, but there's nothing. If you don't aim for something, you're not going to hit anything. But if you're aiming for something and you're striving for something, then you've got something that you're working toward. And everybody... Everybody, given the opportunity, should have a, a dream of wanting to, to be something and make something of themselves. However, the problem many times is we want that to, to reside with us. We want the greatness to be with us. Our world certainly pushes that idea of trying to reach fame and accolades and they do it for their own purposes where God intends for us to use every capacity and ability that, was, that would be within us to do something in the kingdom of God or to make something happen so that it would be for his glory. I don't know what accomplishments that you could bring out here and talk about tonight, but God is the one that should get the should get the credit for everything. Amen. No matter where I am in life, I want, I want people to know it's because of God. I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't be anything, but thanks be to God that God propels us and he inspires us. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31 says, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything that you do, do it to the glory of God. Amen. Praise God. And so our intentions should be wrapped up in giving God glory. And the disease of self makes it all about us. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse number 12 in talking about Satan, it's one of the passages of scripture that talk about the I wills, which is self-interest. And in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse number 12, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit 
they that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness, and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoner? Self-interest rises to the occasion and says, I will. But God has a different interest, and it needs to be his will, not my will. Not what I'm doing, not I will do something, but to God be the glory. Amen. I'm involved in something greater than myself. And so the self makes it about us. Paul, when he gave his testimony in Acts chapter 26 to King Agrippa, he talked about his testimony. He talked about where he came from. He talked about how God did mighty things with him. He talked about on the road to Damascus what was told to him. And at the end of his testimony, he said, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. Paul said, I recognized there was something that I should reach for. It was a dream. It was a vision. It was something that was out there. And I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. Let me just say right here by way of introduction, there is nothing that is greater in your life than serving God and pursuing the dream of activating some things in your life that will give God glory, not activating things that are self-destructive and self-intentional, but saying, God, I want to humble myself and reach for the heavenly stars. I'm not reaching for earthly fame and acclaim, but I'm reaching for your anointing. I'm reaching for your presence. I'm reaching for the kingdom of God, and I want to activate a power in my life so that it can be used for your glory. You should think that in terms of your spiritual walk. You should think that in terms of your education. You should think that in terms of your success. You should think that in terms of your business. Whatever I receive in terms of accolades from humanity, I want to point it somewhere else than myself and say to God be the Glory! God many times is not trying to kill our aspirations. He's not trying to kill our dreams. He's not trying to kill our desires, but he is trying to work on us and move on us. And so he's not trying to kill off the dream, but he's trying to kill the dreamer because there's some things in us that must die. In John chapter 12 and verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 12, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. In order to operate in the spiritual dimension of God, there's some things that have to die in terms of our own selfish interests. You have to put 
that on the table and say, God, here it is. Here, it, here everything is. I'm not bargaining pieces, but I'm giving to you everything because I recognize when I die out to self, something else is going to grow from that. Amen. And what's going to grow from that is a spiritual life. When you were in the world wandering around in carnality, your life was wrapped up in carnality and in the pleasures of the flesh. But when God made a change in your life, you did a 180 and you said, I'm not walking to the same drum, the beat of the same drum. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm putting away the dysfunction. I'm putting away the sin that plagued me and I'm turning and I'm going in a different direction and God's bringing to me peace. He's bringing to me joy. He's bringing to me temperance and things. I didn't have that before, but now in the house of God, I am living a spiritual life and I'm not driven by the flesh, but I'm walking in the spirit. Some things have to die in our lives. Amen. Colossians says, mortify your members which are upon the earth. And then it gives a long list of things. Un uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, fornication, idolatry, all of these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Don't lie to each other, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and you have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Put off these things. These are things that are walking in the flesh. You have to die out to some of those things. But I'll testify and tell you, if you think that that's too difficult for you to give up, when you give it up to God, there's a whole nother package and blessing that is greater than the desert that you've been wandering in. Praise God. The world will mark it and say there is, there is great, great pleasure in sin. And there is for a season. But when, when you have to pay the debt, it's not a good thing. Praise God. But God pours out blessing upon you. God pours his peace out upon you. And there is no debt that you have to pay. You just walk in a newness of life because all things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. Got to die out to some things. And God's intention is to kill pride, but not passion. Kill pride, not passion. When you're parenting, you have to conquer that child's will without killing the child. They have to know that there are boundaries and they have to push up and they're trying to develop independence. And so they're going to push some things and all of a sudden they're going to stand up to you as the parent and they're going to tell you what you should be doing. And you have to break that will that says I'm the center of everything and everybody should listen to me. You've been doing it for a while now and so it should stay that way. If you don't correct that and you don't overcome that will, you'll, you'll have a tyrant in your house that will direct you. That's not the way that it's supposed to work. You have to conquer the will, but you don't kill the child. And in terms of living for God, God's goal is not to kill the passion that burns in somebody, but it's to kill the pride that is in somebody. Pride is very connected to control. And there's nothing wrong with a sense of pride in terms of humble confidence in self and things, accomplishments, and met goals. But an unproductive, destructive emotion like anger and pride 
Ephesians talks about this in chapter 4 and verse number 25 where Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus and he says this, Wherefore putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, which means building up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, everyone say bitterness. Mm, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be you kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. So there's some things that God intends to hit like a hammer. He's hitting at the pride in our life, but he's not trying to kill the passion in our life. Paul said to Timothy, you need to be careful in who you appoint as leaders, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Pride cannot enter into the equation. He also said, moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into a reproach and a snare of the devil, because pride will set you up in a place. And all of a sudden, nobody can talk to you. Nobody can tell you anything. You are the wisdom. You are the knowledge you know better than everybody else and pride comes in and you won't listen to anybody this is like Saul that would not listen to the prophet Samuel he had his own ideas he didn't follow instructions he had a better idea and all of a sudden he finds himself in an absolute mess because pride was in his life and when pride gets in your life you are walking the path of destruction because you know everything and when that happens God can't mold you. He can't do anything with you just like he couldn't do anything with Saul. But he found a young man by the name of David. No matter where he was as king, he recognized I've got a heart for God. I've got a humbleness. I've, I've not done everything right. I've made mistakes. I've had failures. But he never rose up like Saul and acted as if he knew more about stuff than God knew. Praise God. God wants to break pride, but he doesn't want to kill passion. As a matter of fact, he's looking for people that are passionate about serving him, but he can't do anything with stinking pride. I want to open my spirit and my heart and say, God, I don't have all the answers. And the older I get, the more I understand I don't have the answers. And the more I understand I don't have everything I need. I've got to approach God with the humbleness and say, you know what I need? I need your wisdom. I need your knowledge. I need your understanding. And the way that happens is a humbleness before the Lord because I can't do it on my own. That's pride. But I need the power of the Holy Ghost to operate in my life. And I'm preaching to you here tonight. You need the power of the Holy Ghost in your life to make right decisions, to live life, to pursue the dream, to be passionate about the things of God. Praise God. Praise God. When I understand that my dream is for his glory and not mine, 
I'm not as concerned with recognition. <laughs> that what I'm doing is not to be recognized. It's nice when somebody compliments and affirms you and some people need affirmation more than others. But I'm talking about in terms of pursuing, pursuing God's calling in your life. It's not about recognition and people patting you on the back and setting you up on a, on, on a pedestal. That can be very, very dangerous if there's not humbleness. <laughs> Amen. People want to run quickly to results because results gets acclaim and adoration and affirmation. People clap their hands. But there's more to it than that. It's a humbleness of walking before the Lord. Amen. And pursuing God. And so God wants passionate people, but before God can grow what is happening in your life. Amen. Did you know that you are called of God? Paul said to the church at Rome, he said, you are called to be saints. That is one of the highest callings in the entire world. And so if there is a calling of God on my life, not just calling to a platform ministry, but calling just in, den in general to be a saint of God, if God's going to grow that calling in your life, then he has to grow you. <laughs> He's got to grow you. You can't stand separate from the calling. Amen. If God's going to grow the calling of God in your life and the ministry of your life in whatever area and capacity it is, he has to work on you first. Amen. He's got to work on you. And in every single calling, that person that is called has to die out to some things before that calling can live. And in order to do that and make that happen, you cannot rely on yourself. It cannot be a self-reliance. It has to be a spiritual reliance. That's why the Holy Ghost is so very, very important. It is, this is an overwhelming temptation of the person that is called to do something, the person that has a dream, to rely upon their own, his or her talents, ideas, ability to produce results, and bypass a true reliance on the Spirit of God. Amen. There's some people that are extremely talented, but they could also be a train wreck. And that's where sometimes it's better to have somebody that can't quite sing as well, but is operating in a spiritual dimension, than to have somebody that can sing great, but be operating in a carnal dimension because you can't have carnality on the platform. You can't have carnality leading. What you want is you want spiritual things to lead, spiritual people to be directed who are not relying on their looks, their talents, their abilities, their intellect, but they're relying on the power of God. Now, you can have the looks and the talent and the ability and the intellect. You can have all of those things as long as there is a humbleness that says, God, I'm doing this for your glory but if you get somebody that separates that if you get somebody that's that's only only concerned about themselves you you are going to have failure and difficulty and trouble God, help us be a people that spends time in prayer saying, God, you help me. If, if, I, if I get too elevated, take me down because I want to be humble. Amen. I, I want to make sure that I'm operating based on the, the knowledge that I need the Holy Ghost in my life, and I can't do it without the Holy Ghost. I can only go so far with my self-will, but I need your spirit to direct me. 
Amen. Praise God. And sometimes God will, he'll, he'll bring things in our way to, to, to level that playing field to remind us. I'll never, I'll never forget a singer at Praise on the Mountain some years ago. She came out, first set, the place was packed out. There were young people from all over the state and out of state, and it was her opportunity to sing. And she came out, and she was going to come out running because she thought that would be a great idea. You know, come out, the curtain opens, and she comes running out, grabs a microphone, playing boom and go right into the song well she tripped over some of the chords and so 2,000 people sitting there watching watched her bounce on the stage then she had to get up and 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 then try to <laughs> sing in the midst of all of that and so God sometimes a haughty spirit and pride goes before a fall and so sometimes God puts things in our life to correct our pride and she did, she did very well. To her credit, there were two acts. The second act, when she came out, the curtain opened, and they pushed her out in a wheelchair. And so uh, she was self-deprecating in, in that regard. But pride and a reliance on self is not something that is, that's going to help us. We have to rely on the Holy Ghost. This is why Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all, th now this is Paul speaking. <laughs> Paul had the pedigree, he came from the right family, he had the right education, he had a lot of things going for him. But Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Paul said, it's not about, I could not do what I'm doing without the Holy Ghost operating in my life. And so it's Christ that strengthens me. Amen. And so these, these things are all, important. They're, they're foundational things of a dream and a dreamer. And one of the uh, interesting characters in the scripture that we have read in the chapter of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 is Joseph because Joseph has been considered a, a dreamer, somebody that has dreams and then that sets him up and then there's ramifications for that. And so walking through some of these things in Joseph's life should be able to help us in our discussion uh, thus far. Joseph had to, he had to win. Living for God is some wins. You're, you're going to have some wins and you're going to have some losses. But the battle is what is important. You're fighting a battle and there are going to be times that you have some losses, but that doesn't mean that the battle is over. You, you got you to gotta recoup regroup and then you got to fight again and you may have some wins and what you want is more wins than losses <laughs> praise God nobody goes into a battle thinking they're going to win every battle military strategy has no understanding of that at all and it's the same thing spiritually you're you're fighting the good fight of faith and there are going to be some wins that you are pursuing, wins over self, wins over the devil, wins over the world and the temptation. Those are the three primary components of temptation, the devil, the world, and myself. And if you were to prioritize those, I don't know how you want to prioritize one and two and three, but to me, number one is myself. I've got to have some wins over myself. I've got to discipline myself. I've got to have some wins. 
You're not always going to have wins on every, every uh, circumstance. You're going to have some losses. You're going to have some failures. But that's where you get back up and you say, you know what, I'm going to learn from that. And the next time that comes around, I'm going to win there because I'm disciplined disciplining myself, and I'm not going to lose that battle again. Praise God. It's a battle. You're in a battle. There's going to be some wins, and there's going to be some losses. Have more wins than losses, but win. Win for God. No matter what the enemy brings against you, win. The scripture said you're more than a conqueror. You can do it. I don't care how difficult it may feel and the weight. The scripture is very clear. God is with you. And if he's with you, you can be a winner, not a loser. There's going to be some wins and there's going to be some losses. And Joseph had some wins and he also had some losses. But there were going to be some, some specific things in his life. And he is, in Hebrews, he is one of the heroes of faith. So anytime you look at somebody in the scripture, you go back and recognize those individuals were there and they were there for our example so that we can apply some things that they learned to our own life. Joseph had to win some, some major dependencies. And the first thing that he had to win is he had to win by depending on God. We talked about not self-reliance. We talked about spirit reliance. In Joseph's life, he had to depend on God. When Joseph was stripped of the pride of his coat and his position of being the favorite son, and he, which was his identity, he was left with the familiarity of self, and he had to overcome himself and say, God, I'm going to depend on you. Joseph's story is very, very fascinating. He had these dreams and so these dreams came to him, and so he would dream, and then he would tell his brothers the dream. And, and they, they became very agitated with that. For example, he told them one day, I had a dream, and I was binding sheaves in a field. And lo, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him, yet the more for his dreams and for his words. So Joseph had these dreams. And, and sometimes, you know, sometimes you need to keep things to yourself. And he didn't. This was one of his losses. He went out there and told his brothers. And brothers sometimes can be very competitive. And he was not the oldest brother. And so he's saying this as if somehow they were going to bow down to him and pay obeisance to him. And he was going to have dominion over them. And so they hated him for it. He had another dream. And in that dream... He told his brethren, I dreamed a dream, and the sun and the moon and the 11 stars made obeisance to me. He told his father and his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Should I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee on the earth? So in his dream, he had this, this notion where the sun and the moon, which would have been his father and his mother, and the 11 stars, which would have been his brothers, would all bow down to him and pay obeisance. This became an agitation. His brethren envied him because he was the favorite son. His father observed the saying, but there were dynamics of some dysfunction that had been built into this whole thing. And so his brothers got very bitter and envious about it. And so when the time came 
and they were out in the field in Shechem tending to the flocks and his father sent Joseph to bring lunch to the brothers. They, they decided to, they, they talked about killing him and the oldest brother Reuben said, we don't, we don't want that blood to be on our hands. And so they ended up taking his coat, stripping him, throwing him in a pit, dipping his coat in goat's blood and then selling him into slavery. Joseph and then bringing the coat back to, to Jacob and saying, your son, your favorite son has been eaten by a wild animal. And then they, they live that lie for, for years. Let me just, just say something. That's quite a concoction. And that's a major, major, major deal. When you tell lies and things like that, at some point it's going to be exposed. Now, you may get away with it for a period of time, but truth always comes to the surface. Truth always comes to the surface. So the moral of the story here is don't lie because you will be found out. And the worst thing that you could do is lie and then try to cover it up with another lie because then you got to keep doing that until everything runs out and you crash very, very hard. And so they, they came and they lied and Joseph finds himself in a caravan going to Egypt in slavery, and, and this was one of, one of his losses, was telling his dream. But one of his wins, one of his wins was, I've got to trust God in all of this. I can't trust myself. I'm in slavery. I'm at the very bottom. And so the things that was familiar to him, when all of that was stripped away, his coat, his favorite position as the favorite son. He had to depend upon God, and he let God team up with him. And the scripture said in Genesis chapter 39, verse number 1, the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph won. In that big battle, in that big skirmish of life, Joseph recognized I don't have anything now. My identity has been stripped away from me. I don't have the coat of many colors. All I've got is a dependency upon God. God's got to get me out of this situation. I've got to trust in God to move me from where I am. My reliance is not on myself anymore, but it is upon God. And God was with him. What a testimony. Whatever your situation is, you want to be able to say, the Lord was with Kevin Mark Bradford. There were difficult times in life, decisions, things that got removed that I was comfortable with, not so uh uh, very uncomfortable having things stripped away, whether it's health, whether it's decisions that I made that didn't work out right. But in the midst of all of that, I recognize something of value and I won something. And what I want is I've got to depend upon God to help me through every difficulty, every valley that I walk through, every giant that I face, every doubt that comes my way, an evil report. I'm trusting in in God. Praise God. Praise God. In every stage in life, every stage in life, there has to be a dependency upon God to take you through those areas and those things. And Joseph won. He won. The Lord was with Joseph. And so that was something that was important. The second thing that was important is Joseph, when he faced temptation and no accountability, he resisted. He won the battle within. So the first thing you've got to understand here, 
there's stages of development here. We're talking about the dream and the dreamer, and God doesn't want to kill your dreams, but he's trying to work on the dreamer. And you got to let him work on you if you're going to achieve what you want to achieve. And so he was dependent upon God, and he recognized that. And then he started winning some battles with himself. He started winning some battles with himself. He ended up in Egypt, and he ended up in... He ended up in Potiphar's house. The scripture said that the Lord blessed Joseph and he blessed Potiphar's house. He was a goodly person. He was well favored. And so he was operating in Potiphar's house. God elevated him to a place. When everything else had been stripped away, God elevated him to a place of blessing. And so he was dependent upon that because there was no way Joseph would ever have ascended to where he was without God directing him. He was sold into slavery, and yet God elevates him. And so he finds himself in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife keeps making a play for Joseph. And Joseph refused. He said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wadeth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. Because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And so she continued to make a play day by day. And day by day he hearkened not unto her to be with her nor to be involved with her. And so she concocted a lie. Made up a story about him fleeing and leaving his garment and trying to assault her. And so he ends up in the king's prison. But the battle that he wins is he wins the battle with himself. I am telling you, this is, one of, this is the greatest struggle. Uh, the world can bring a lot of temptation. The devil can bring a lot of temptation. But the greatest difficulty in battle that you're going to ever fight is to win the battle over yourself and have some discipline and say, I'm going to discipline myself. There's going to be some things that I lose, but I'm going to win. And in a world that we live in, we, we, this, is, this, is, this is every man's battle. It's every woman's battle. Praise God. It's a struggle that you've got to discipline yourself. If you leave yourself uncontrolled, you're going to enter into all kinds of carnality and difficulty and the works of the flesh. It is a gravitational pull that is a natural thing. It's an unnatural thing to be disciplined. And being disciplined requires effort. It requires effort to be spiritual. It required effort to be here in the house of God tonight. You could have stayed home because work had all of the ramifications that it had. But yet you said, I'm going to discipline myself. I might not feel like being here, but I recognize the value of being faithful to the house of God. So I'm going. And you discipline yourself. And when the discipline of self 
is a major, major struggle and battle that Joseph, he won. He won. I'm here. There's nobody here that knows me. There's no accountability on my life. Nobody is looking over my shoulder. I'm talking about God and Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. They don't even believe in God. And there's a play being made here. Nobody would know, but I'm still going to trust in God. I'm dependent upon God. And I know that God is going to help me win the battle against my own flesh and nature and myself. I'm going to be right. I'm going to be pure. I'm going to be moral. I'm going to win this battle in the midst of Egypt that doesn't care about morality. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in the same world, the same world of bondage. You got to get something in yourself, some intestinal fortitude that says, I'm not going to listen to Potiphar's wife every single day. She may hound me, but I'm still going to be true to the purposes of God. Amen. Praise God. You can read between the lines there. You can read between the lines. There's a lot of temptation in our world that comes on so many, many fronts. And so he ends up in the king's prison. And in order for God to keep moving that vision forward in Joseph's life, Joseph had to win. He had to depend on God. He had to win with himself. And in realizing where God was going to take him, he had to have leadership of himself before he could lead others. <laughs> he had to get control of himself before he... See, Joseph could never tell somebody to do something that he didn't win the battle himself. This is one of the powers of a testimony. A testimony, listen to me, this is very powerful. Some of you have gone through difficult circumstances and your natural inclination would be to hide that because it's embarrassing to talk about, whatever it may be. But if you won that battle and you fought through that, there were some losses. Yes, somebody said amen. Losses. <laughs> I never imagined myself getting where I was. And I didn't think I'd ever get out of where I was, but I knew that I had to trust in God. And so I trusted in God, and God helped me win some battles and struggles that that are miraculous, that are signs, miracles, and wonders sitting on these pews. There are miracles because people won some battles and struggles with themselves. That becomes a testimony because they can say to somebody else down the road, you know what? I know what you're going through. I fought the same struggle. I fought the same battle, and I won because God was with me. You wouldn't be able to tell them that if you yourself hadn't walked through that fire and that valley and that difficulty. But because God was with you, you could testify to somebody else because you disciplined yourself. There's nothing worse than somebody telling you what to do when they themselves, that's called a hypocrite. Praise God. This is one of the, the, the struggles and, and challenges of, of parenting. I, when I was in youth ministry, there were parents that would come to me and tell me what I should tell their children. And the reason why they were doing that, the reason why they weren't stepping up to the plate is because they weren't living right. And so they were wanting to put the, the responsibility on me to try to help their child. Instead of living right 
and being able to establish it in the home. You know why? Because they knew that if I bust their chops on something that they should or shouldn't do, they're going to turn around and look at me and say, well, Dad, why aren't you doing it? The battle has to be won with myself before I can tell other people what they should or shouldn't do. Amen. And that's the power of it. But see, the flip side of that is there's a positive thing there. The flip side of that is there's a testimony there. Whatever, whatever God has helped you through and, and, and you're here, you can help somebody. Don't ever think my testimony doesn't have any value. It absolutely has great, great value because all of us are striving going the same way, and all of us need the support of people. And people have different circumstances in their life, and they've been able to overcome some things that might help me on my journey. That gives me great power. This is one of the reasons why the Scripture says, not the, the forsaking of the assembling of yourselves, but provoking one another to good works. It helps me. It strengthens me when somebody makes it out of the pit that they were in and they achieve success. I'll tell you this right now. I'm not downplaying them. I'm not criticizing them. I'm not gossiping about them. I'm not trying to tear them down. I am drawing from their strength. Well, you know, sister so-and-so, she had some problems some years ago. Who cares? She's in the house of God and she's overcome those problems. That gives me strength because if she could do it, then I could do it. It. Praise God. Man, I feel like attacking the enemy right there. Sometimes if we're not careful, we start criticizing and belittling and tearing people down when we should be celebrating that they're still in the house of God and they're still striving to pursue the dream. Praise God. Your testimony is powerful. And there's so many. My goodness. There's so many. <clears throat> and I just want to, I want you to know that I'm proud of you. <laughs> we need to clap our hands and thank God for everybody that's, you've won some battles. You've won some battles. You've won some battles. So he finds himself in the king's prison. <clears throat> And God is working this whole vision and this whole dream and this whole calling and this whole movement because Joseph has been stripped of everything that he's familiar with. It's uncomfortable. No, no coat, no identity, but he's trusting God. And then he wins some battles himself. And so God is set. He's, he's being set up for prime leadership. But he's still in prison. And while he's in prison, he makes some connections with a butler and a baker. And they have some dreams. Everything, everything is about the dream and the dreamer. That's why there's, everybody's having dreams. Joseph is having some dreams, and he's learning through them. And now the butler and the baker's having some dreams. And then Pharaoh, the prime leader's having dreams. Everybody's dreaming. And the butler and the baker... They have a dream, and the butler says, in my dream, a vine was before me, 
and in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes, and Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And so Joseph said, well, the interpretation of that is the three branches are three days. And in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. You shall deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand. And after the former manner, when thou wast his butler. <clears throat> and so he interpreted that dream, made a connection. And then the baker said, I had a dream as well. In my dream, three white baskets were on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there was of all manner of baked meats for Pharaoh. And the birds did eat them out of the basket on my head. And Joseph said, here's the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head, and he shall hang thee on a tree, and the birds shall eat thy flesh from off thee. Now, well, this is great news for the, the butler, not so great news for the baker. But the fact of the matter is, Joseph interpreted the dream. And in fact, it came to pass. And in both cases, Joseph said, when you, when you are lifted up and you are before Pharaoh, uh, remember me. And both of them forgot. The chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And it came to pass at the end of two years, two years. Joseph could have gotten bitter. I mean, I helped those guys. I gave them the interpretation and told them, when you ascend, remember me, okay? Remember me and put in a good word for me. And they forgot me for two years. They forgot me. Well, Pharaoh has a dream, and nobody can interpret the dream, and that triggers the butler. You know, there was one in the king's prison by the name of Joseph, and he was able to interpret the dream. Joseph has, he's depending on God. He is, he's won some battles with himself so that he could lead others. <clears throat> and, and now he's at a critical moment in which Pharaoh has had a dream and Joseph interprets the dream. And the dream that Pharaoh had was that there were seven well-favored cows, fat flesh, they fed in a meadow, and seven other cows came out of the river, and they looked very ill, lean flesh, and they stood upon the brink of the river, and the ill-favored ate up the well-favored, and Pharaoh awoke, and he needed interpretation. He slept, and then he dreamed a second dream. Seven ears of corn came up, one stalk, rank and good, and then seven thin ears blasted with the wind sprung up, and the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank and full ears. And Joseph laid out the interpretation. There's going to be seven good years of food, but then there's going to be seven years of famine. And the seven years of famine are going to eat up the seven years of good. Now, here's what you need to do. You need to establish somebody that can take care of all of the crops and the agriculture, taking a fifth of all of it and storing it and managing it and, and, and making sure that there's some structure and some organization. And this is going to take somebody that has some knowledge and some insight. And so he's saying all of this to Pharaoh. 
And Pharaoh, when he hears this entire spill, he says to Joseph, uh, this is the guy. <laughs> this is the guy that we need to put in charge of this. And so Joseph becomes the right-hand man to Pharaoh. And for seven years, there's great, great uh, crops and abundance that come in. And then in years of famine, when, when those... Uh, seven years of difficulty start eating up all of that, those crop. There's been somebody that has taken the time to manage all of that. And in the process of that, Joseph's brothers and Jacob end up coming to Egypt for food because of a famine in the land. Joseph now is producing results. He is the right-hand man of Pharaoh. He's organized all of this. People are looking at Joseph. And later, the children of Israel and the Hebrews, when they come to Egypt, they're favored and blessed because of Joseph's influence. He is winning on so many levels. Organizationally, he's winning. He's winning with influence. He is operating. Things are just, they're working. And then his family comes, and there is restoration in his family. All of this, God blesses him. God uses him. And he is producing great, great things that cause everybody, not just in Egypt, but all around the then known world to recognize that the reason why we have food is because in this famine, there was a man of God by the name of Joseph that was dependent upon God, won the battle with himself, learned how to lead others, and because of that was producing great, great things. And so everybody was recognizing that. And this is where everybody wants to run to, the results. But you can't get there. You can't get there until you go through the process of the dream and the dreamer. You got to depend on God. You got to win the battle with yourself. That's going to help you lead others, and it's going to produce results in your life. But you can't go backwards. You don't start with results and then helping others and then winning the battle with yourself and then depending on God. That's, that's the wrong order. It doesn't work that way. And the dreamer. Let's stand together. Praise God. Lord, we thank you and praise you and know that you have put inspiration into each and every one of us. Vision and calling. What a rebuke on the world that tears that down. And in some aspects, some people lose hope completely because of what is done to them. Or what they have done to themselves. But you plant a seed in each and every one of us to dream big, to reach high, to do our very, very best, and hope is the central part of that. I pray tonight that you would help each and every one of us reach for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. And recognize that there are some things in our life that we have to establish so that ultimate blessing can come to us. Blessing in our families, blessing in our relationships,
blessing in our home, and ultimately, blessing in our church. Praise God. Use us to impact our city and the people that we come into contact with. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Somebody said amen.